It's the Jeremiah Show. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. Eric Durst has always had a larger-than-life imagination. Growing up in a family in the arts, Eric was encouraged to express himself creatively. As a young man, he attended California Institute of the Arts with a degree in animation. Upon graduating, Eric began winning many awards for his animated films, and he received an American Film Institute grant, as well as funding from numerous other foundations, which helped him pursue his filmmaking career and to create his own independent films. And he did this for a number of years. Using this work as a foundation, Eric's career first helped him become one of the busiest commercial directors in the industry. He was sought after for his unique style. He was known for light comedy and magic twists, which merged actors' performances and visual effects together on the small screen. With over 200 commercials to his credit, which included Volkswagen's U.S. advertising for three years consecutively, uh, he worked five years as exclusive director for all of Black & Decker's commercials and over six national campaigns for Polaroid. His other clients included Diet Pepsi, Ford, General Electric, Dodge, and AT&T. But while witnessing the sweeping growth of the visual effects industry, Eric's decided to transition from commercials and to dedicate his time exclusively to feature films. So, as I got to know Eric over the last few weeks in a bunch of email exchanges... Uh, at a very exciting time in his life, and you're going to hear about that in just a moment. A particular email really caught my attention from Eric. This email explained his passion for his life's work. And in that email, Eric described the art of visual effects to me this way. Visual effects is the creation of photographic images that you can't achieve in real life. When the script calls out for the need of images that no one can go out and photograph with a camera, and in this case, the levees breaching in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, or in other cases, a spaceship landing on the White House lawn, VFX is brought in to put it all together. The art of this is to do so in a manner that is so indistinguishable From actual photography, the mind is tricked into believing it really happened. It's a bit of a magic trick, and I always get a kick out of the audience not knowing that it was a trick. That's what Eric wrote to me, and that sparked my imagination. Um, Just the simple way that he put that, I just really liked that. And it really is amazing what can be achieved thanks to VFX artists, VFX artists like Eric. Eric's first assignment was to create Gotham City for Batman Forever in film, which started his long career in the cinema. His film credits include Snowpiercer, one of my favorites, uh, with director Bong Joon-ho, Gods of Egypt, and Knowing with director Alex Proyas, Night and Day with director James Mangold, and Spider-Man 2, and Syriana, another great movie. Uh, one of the, the movies that I noticed on your, um, in your lit long list of credits was, uh, I think it's 13, uh, 13 hours, which with our friend, Anne Hayes, one of her last movies. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Anne is a great friend of ours, a really mm. close friend for years here on the show. That, yeah. And yeah. Um, great. Yeah. She, uh, Eric teamed with director Ron Howard. And I got to see this. I did. 
This is this looks really good. On the National Geographic series Genius, for which he received an Emmy nomination, and Eric continues to blend feature and episodic assignments with credits on Perry Mason for HBO, Messiah for Netflix, The Terror for AMC, and most currently, and what we're going to mainly talk about today, Five Days at Memorial for ABC's Signature and Apple Plus TV for which he was nominated for Best Supporting Visual Effects in Television for the 2023 Visual Effects Society Awards. The Visual Effects Society is the worldwide organization of all VFX artists and executives in the industry. So Apple TV, Five Days at Memorial, is a limited series that tells the story of the first five days in a New Orleans Louisiana hospital after Hurricane Katrina made landfall. And when the floodwaters rose, the power failed, and the heat climbed, exhausted caregivers were forced to make life and death decisions that haunted them for years to come. I watched the entire series over two days. Uh, It's a powerful story. And at times, uh, Eric, I I think you'd agree, it's hard to watch. It is, Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Which is... it's meant to be that way. I think it's designed to be that way. It's designed to really make you feel and to go through what everybody went through and, and um, very, very powerful during the five days at the hospital as the conditions worsened for the patient. So did the experience of watching it. Uh, I began to actually feel the anxiety, the pain, the heat. And like on day three, I almost thought, I don't know if I can get through this. It's like, it really was intense. Um, but I felt like that was part of the experience. I wasn't supposed to enjoy myself all the time. I was supposed to feel what what people had gone through. I mean, I lived through that. I had friends that went down and, you know, sent me photos of people floating dead in the water and yeah. on the rooftops, you know, rescue uh, guys that were friends of mine that were rescue, um, mm. emergency rescue workers. So it's very real. Um, I highly anticipate, as Eric does, this series to be one of the front runners for the Emmys this year. So Eric Durst and his exceptional, talented team won the 2023 Visual Effects and Society Awards for Outstanding Supporting Visual Effects in a Photo Reel episode, episode five. Excuse me, it was day two, uh, five days at Memorial. Uh, day two. Congratulations on winning these prestigious awards and welcome, Eric Durst. Thank you very much. Good to be here, Jeremiah. What an incredible uh, body of work you've put together and, and uh, you know, most notably and most recently, you know, what we're talking about here today. Let's go back. Well, be been a ride. Yeah, I bet it has. Still is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to grow up with artists such as yours for parents? What was your childhood like? Eric? It was very unique and interesting. And of course, I was a kid, so I didn't realize how unique it was. Right. But my dad built an art center uh, at the University of Arkansas, which you you wouldn't think as being a a center of creative arts necessarily, but uh, the idea of it was sort of based on the Bauhaus. So it was like the idea of combining all the arts in one facility, very much like Cal arts mm. is as well. So the idea was that if you had architecture and painting and dance and music and theater and all these uh, different practices, uh, different kinds of arts, in one facility, then there would be a lot of intermingling because if you're a dancer and you know a painter and a, a somebody in theater, you can sort of use all those talents and combine them together and make something unique. So that was the idea. And I grew up in that environment. Uh, it was a building that uh, was designed by Ed Stone. Ed, Ed did uh, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, as well as the Kennedy Center and so forth. So, it was, you know, high level kind of work that was done in this building and uh, my architecture one of my architecture teachers was Faye Jones who was Frank Lloyd Wright's chief protege and so Frank Lloyd Wright would come there and you know it was was, uh, on a high high level and so when I was a kid I got to be in 
uh, plays, uh, university plays. When I was six years old, I played Michael in Peter Pan and got to, um, you know, fly on wires and do all kinds of amazing stuff. And so I knew I was going to be in the arts, but I didn't really know what kind because I was interested in all of them. And then that uh, later on, I learned about Cal Arts and decided, well, that's where I want to go because that seems to be sort of what I grew up with. And when I got to Cal Arts, I realized that, oh, filmmaking is sort of the combination of all those arts or can be. And um, I got into animation. Uh, and one of the most incredible moments of my life was sitting in the animation room. It's very hard to get in now to that anim- it's the top animation uh, you know, class in the world. Uh, at that point, when I got in, it was uh, not as robust. And so I remember uh, uh, Jules Engel, who ran that department and was sort of a mentor to a lot of the people that started Pixar and everyone in the industry. Uh, he, I was sitting down in this room, just sort of observing what everyone was doing. And Jules came by with a stack of paper and just put it in front of me and gave me a pencil and said, make a film. And that was the beginning of everything. And the beauty about that was, and something that really fuels all of my sort of foundation of everything I do is if you can make life happen, a sense of animation happened with just a pencil and a piece of paper and multiple pieces of paper, uh, then you can do pretty much anything. I mean, you, you understand right. it's the simplest tool you can you can do things with. So if you understand that, that's the foundation of timing, of weight, of everything that film is. And so I use that as uh sort of my, my basic lens of which I see things through. So when you were a child, would you, uh, did, did you have just this big imagination as children often do? And, and would you draw, was that your, your main outlet for telling do it. stories? Were you, were, were you an artist? Like a, I would do all kinds of things. I mean, I would do drawing. I would do uh, a lot of drawing. And then I was also interested in the sort of, technical things as well i mean you know and special visual effects especially is sort of a combination of art and science Mm -hmm. and so i um, was always interested in uh science as well and it was sort of a combination of of all of these but i like performing as well so i was in uh a lot of theater classes and i um got into some dance classes because I wanted to understand movement and uh, play the violin and, you know, all those things. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was a multifaceted approach to things. Which do you borrow from most now as a VFX artist? Uh, Is there one of those areas that you loved as a child that, that you feel that you borrow from most? Yeah, I think movement, probably movement, movement. and timing, mm-hmm. because um, it's interesting in in film or in visual effects, especially my my area, you can have you can you can look at shots and figure out if they work or not. And sometimes and all of us have seen really good visual effects shots and all of us have seen really bad visual effects shots. And so how do you put those together? What what? what makes it successful or not. Oftentimes it's not what something looks like, but just the way things move within the frame Mm. because you're in a box, you're in a confined box like this. And so things can move fast and you get a certain feeling. Things can move very slow like that. And it gives a different emotional feeling. So I look at things Mm. in terms of trying to look at the most, you know, really what is the, what's going on, not, not getting distracted by what it looks like, but how it moves and, and what the pace is in a scene. So that I think is my, you know, primary way of judging things. No, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That's, um, that really is true. And 
And then that quote that I read by you, that email that you sent to me, uh, really did. I went, wow, I actually went and read it to a couple of people because I said, this is who, who I'm going to talk to. This is how he looks at what he does. And it made me look at it in a different way. But you mentioned in that in that quote, um, that email, that it's magic. That You talked about the movement and you talked about it's a little bit of magic, too, and that you love, you get a kick out yeah. of that one. So just like with magic and magicians, right, it's movement, and it's tricking your mm-hmm. eye and, and taking your eye somewhere else so they can do the trick. And it, it's, right. A, right? it's a, um, a trick of the eye, a trick of the, of the perspective and, and the mind. And, um, and, and that's, again, another really great way to describe, you know, wh- what you love and what you do, the movement in, in that. And, and how you took that, uh, you know, it seems like kids grow up a lot quicker these days, uh, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there's some the same childhood as maybe you or I had um, growing mm-hmm. up where, you know, you're, uh, you know, I lived, actually lived in Arkansas for a little bit, too. And, uh, oh, really? Yeah, wow. for about six months. Um what's this the bane i was 11 years old so i don't remember well but the um <laughs> it's the what the capital little is it little rock the capital? little rock yeah, little rock. Sure. yeah so little it was rock. near there it's a little outside of that and there was a tornado <laughs> our first couple of months there so we went into the storm shelter and then we pretty much moved after that <laughs> my yeah. parents packed us back up when we went back to california um but uh, <laughs> there are earthquakes, not tornadoes. So. Right. I mean, there's something everywhere. So, uh, how important, be, you know, being that kid with that a big imagination, you know, being able to be outside to to run, to you know, build forts, to uh, you know, all the little things that we do. I love to draw as well, and I would draw, you know, a lot of like out uh, spaceships and astronauts and things like mm-hmm. that. Well, how important is imagination and allowing, you know, what your parents did, allowing that freedom to create as a child? And then the second part of the question is most of us sadly grow up and we don't get to continue to do that. How did you, you made a conscious decision of like, I'm going to imagine, I'm going to bring things to life. I'm going to be an artist in this way. Um, right. Well, I think, like I said before, it's like I, I knew I wanted to be in the arts somehow. And I had a fantasy when I was a kid. It's like if if I could have like a photograph in a gallery, you know, anywhere you know, like in New York or anywhere in the world, then I would have made it like then you're set for life. <laughs> and uh-huh. It's not quite like that. So uh, <laughs> um, I didn't have any sort of sense of. Uh, economics or how to make a living or anything like that. I just knew I wanted to pursue something in the arts. And, um, but it, it was, um, I did a lot of painting. I did a lot of, you know, all these different things. And only until I really found sort of the film could combine all those, could I sort of feel satisfied in that I didn't have to like, uh, uh, omit any of those uh, aspects I could incorporate them, you know, and do that. And, and, and the fact that animation, when I was starting, you could build your own world. And it was in a way I was building worlds and, um, I would go into these almost trances. I mean, I would go into these places where I just sort of lived in these, these moments in my head. Mm -hmm. And I really felt it was tangible. It was real. I felt like I could go there. Maybe it was avoiding life. I don't know. But it's like certainly you have to go in that space to to really fully feel the full uh, volume of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do those that pretty easily. And that sort of fueled all this all this work. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's now it's more uh, less independent animation kind of stuff, which is sort of you, you're lucky to get some kind of funding to, to do that and pursue it. Um, now it's uh, more movies and there's an economic factor of it as well, like a large one on films, especially. And um, so you have to sort of balance the, you know, the finances as well as the artistic mm-hmm. as well as managing uh, various people. Visual effects is something that involves a lot of people. And there are 
uh, places all over the world that you work with. For instance, I've done shows where you have 14 different companies that you're working with around the world, sometimes 1,500 artists working on one project. So uh, your management skills come into place. You have to make it look like only one person did the work. It has to be consistent. There are a lot of different factors that mm-hmm. um, tie into what things look like on the screen. So you have to sort of build those skills as well. When you bring all those extra skills into it, management, the business, the the ma- the massive amount of investment and money and pressure and all that, is it still enjoyable at the end of the day? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. there are moments where it's not, yeah. for sure. <laughs> like any job. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, but overall, I, I really like it. I mean, I like not only just the art itself, but, you know, meeting a lot of incredible people along the road. And you also I, I like the sort of human dynamics of things and like how to, for instance, how to present things is always fascinating to me. It's like you're working with people who don't understand visual effects. You get a lot of very worried people when you're fabricating this whole world behind. Mm. And when you photograph it, it's just a, a figure against a, a blue screen or a green screen and nothing's there. And so it sort of freaks people out because there isn't anything you can grab on and they're trusting that you will pull it off. So you have to sort of show various versions of things. And, and there's a whole art of like making sure everyone feels comfortable about what you're doing and then building up those images as you move along. And um, since you're working with sometimes, you know, hundreds of artists, you have to steer them in the right direction. So there's a lot of, a, a lot at play to do that. And then when you're presenting the work, you have to present it in a way where it's like there's a, when you're developing shots and we can go, we will look at a breakdown later on, I think, but when you're doing that, you're showing very rough versions of it and it gets more refined and then more refined and then it's fully finished. And in the beginning, it's like we call it the the teenager stage. So it's like there's, you know, the skin has all kinds of (laughs) problems and everything. But don't worry, it's going to be okay in the end. So you have to present it in such a way that people don't freak out. Because there's a lot of freak out when people see things that aren't really fully flushed. And it takes time to do it. So uh, there's sort of a skill in presenting that. And once you understand that and and can do that, then you can successfully sort of go to the the final product without too much of a flurry. Mm. Sounds like a lot of pressure. (laughs) It can be. be. Before I leave Arkansas, we've got to take a break here and maybe I'm going to see if I can push it a little longer for the break, but depending on how long the story is. But before we leave Arkansas, we're already over. Richard's laughing at me because I'm supposed to be in break right now. But I want to be. I want to move on to Hollywood with you and really get into the VFX artist and your your artistry and your and this movie. Before we do that, though, in Arkansas, you live next to President Bill Clinton. He was your neighbor. What was that like? Right. <laughs> well, is that it a long story or a short I, uh, story? <laughs> Probably a long story. No, it didn't have to be long. Uh, it's inspiring. Yeah. Um, I was. Uh, I had finished Cal Arts, and I was. Uh, you talk about the stack of paper. I had the stack of paper of all the stuff I was working on in this new film. And um, I got a, uh, I was living at home because I didn't have any money. I had an AFI grant. I had money to do the film, but no money to eat. So I had to live at home. So I went to home to Arkansas and I was working downstairs. And my mom, who uh, was upstairs, said, hey, Rick, they call me Rick in Arkansas rather than Eric. That was my nickname. Rick, come upstairs. We got I got someone I want you to meet. And so I went upstairs and there was a guy who was our new neighbor. And uh, this is before uh, Bill Clinton had done anything. He was just teaching law. And so I. Uh, met this man and I said, Hey, hi. And and we had, uh, he said, hi, I'm Bill. And I said, Hey, Bill, and I'm Rick. And, uh, uh, we, we got to talking about various things. And so he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I make films. He said, well, show me. So I went down, we went downstairs and I remember sitting in my 
bedroom that I grew up in on the floor, flipping my uh, film and pitching Bill Clinton, who was also sitting on the floor, uh, this film I was doing and how great it was and how wonderful it was to build worlds and all this great stuff. So uh, he, he dug it and, and we talk, talked about it for a while. We went upstairs and I said, um, so now what are you doing? You, I know you're teaching at the University of Arkansas. You're teaching law. And, and Bill said, um, and he got sort of a different sort of feeling, very focused. And he said, well, Rick, I want to be in public service. And if you do anything in life, then you got to do it the best. You know, if you're going to be in film, you want to be a director. You want to be, you know, working in Hollywood. You want to be doing something top of the line. And you only have one life and you got to do it full out. So I'm going to be president of the United States. So wow. I'm sitting there and talking to in Arkansas, talking to my neighbor who wants to be president of the United States. Are you kidding me? It's like, wow. okay. <laughs> and, but he said it with such clarity and such vision that you believed it. It's like, wow, I, I can't believe this. And the rest is history. But I'll always remember that moment because he, it was this bizarre, you know, vision, but it was something that he was so clear at. It really impacted me a lot because, you know, if you know what you want to do and you're really super clear about it, then you can make it happen. But it needs that clarity. So my special guest today is Eric Durst, another man who has vision and who makes it happen. Uh, Eric and his exceptional, talented team won the 2023 Visual Effects Society Awards for Outstanding Supporting Visual Effects and a Photo Reel episode. Uh, it's five days of Memorial Day, too. We're going to look at that clip on the YouTube portion of this interview here when we come back, and we're going to talk more with Eric Durst. Go to ericdurst.com for more, and we'll be right back. survive Hurricane Katrina. We thought that we could survive anything. And we were wrong. They found 45 dead bodies there. Now, does that make any sense to you? I'm under a great deal of pressure to look into what happened. There were five days, the most ungodly conditions. 
We are getting all of these patients out of here. We are nurses, and we're going to get it done. As long as we don't get left behind. We have to be realistic about the situation. There is nothing else to do for them except to make them comfortable. So what are we talking about? They asked me to look into the, the deaths at Memorial Medical Center. The Attorney General's office is focusing their investigation on you. They're suggesting that some of their patients' lives may have been ended. I am sure that patients do not suffer pain. Some people were afraid of people outside of the hospital. But for me, it was the other way around. If you were given a choice between comforting a patient, possibly quickening his death, or abandoning patients to suffer a slow death, what would you choose to do? did was try to help people. That is all I did. Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi there, everybody. This is Anne Heach. Hi, I'm Mariel Hemingway, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Please visit me at MarielHemingway.co or the All for One Club and join the Barefoot Challenge. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com. Back to the Jeremiah Show. My very special guest today is Eric Durst, uh, a visual effects artist, VFX. What is a VF? What is a VFX artist? What? Welcome back. It's Eric. a visual. Well, actually, visual effects supervisor. That's that's what you call it when you sort of oversee all the visual effects of a of a film or an episodic show, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're uh, you've told me that your field and i can see with my own eyes it, it, it's expanding constantly daily hourly yeah. talk about the field mm -hmm. itself where do you see it going are there any limits or is are the limits only held by your own imagination I think it's by your imagination. You know, it, it's uh, I grew up when I first started, it was pre-digital. So it was like all photo, you know, uh, photochemical kind of things using film. Mm -hmm. And as it slowly developed into the digital realm, 
Um, it was very crude at the beginning, like any new technology is. And, and then it just grew and it's uh, exponentially uh, expanding. Uh, and photorealism is, is becoming a real thing. Uh, to me, it looks to, to me, it's like uh, visual effects is being able to control visual reality and make it look absolutely real and your mind will believe it. Mm -hmm. And the fidelity of that is getting more and more developed where the division between um, something that looks sort of okay, but sort of not really there uh, between that and completely believing it without any doubt that it's real is happening at a very fast pace this year especially i've noticed there are a number of projects where we have virtual actors it used to be very clunky and it didn't look quite right and so a little creepy actually mm -hmm. uh, but now it's looking completely photoreal and you can you can synthetically do uh actors and it's something that disturbs a lot of actors because they don't want to be replaced by right. something uh, but you're seeing a lot of actors who are deceased are being brought back in films and uh, they look like they were really there. And your mind believes that that's a, that's the thing is like um, you can show things to visually and it's so powerful uh, in your mind. You believe it. If you've ever had like a VR headset mm -hmm. and you're like walking in a room, you know, you're just walking in a flat uh, floor, but you look down and you see like a precipice, you get all freaked out because your mind just doesn't believe you that saying it's okay. I'm just on a floor, but you look down and you see that there's a, a, a cliff in front of you and about to jump off. You feel all of your body just surging uh, and in fear. So the mind is pretty easy to trick. And so the fact that we're getting more and more fidelity in the imagery, it's looking more and more real, is wonderful in terms of films, but also, you know, it's got a dangerous factor to it as well. It's like, what is reality right. at that point? And would that be the same as deep fakes, like it, uh, which is Absolutely. a video, photo, or audio recording that seems real but has been manipulated with the technology? Right. and. You know, does it worry you or that it can oh, yeah. get to, that it's sure. too real and that anything can be recreated and then the mind is tricked? You know, I mean, it can be mm -hmm. used. You can let your mind, your imagination run on all the evil that could be brought out with it. But what, how does that, right. being, a, you know, a leader in this industry, what do you, what do you say to that? And as there a, uh, you know, anything that you can do or we can do to, or are we just up, you know, we, we are, you know, we follow what we believe and we, you know, we just have yeah, to do I think our research. It just demands more, more critical thinking. Uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, something looks real and your mind believes it, that's one thing, but, but you're influenced by it, even subliminally. So it's a very powerful thing. I, I'm concerned a lot about that. And certainly visual effects tools and development has helped create that ability to do that. And, uh, some people will, it's sort of questioning what reality is, you know, what is true, what is not true. And that will just become more and more, um, every, everywhere. So I think we're in a, in a zone where people have to, uh, be very smart about it. I don't have an answer to it because they're, they're, we're going to be at a point where you can look at something and there's nothing distinguishable uh, from that. Uh, there's nothing to distinguish that it was artificial. So seeing is believing is true, but it won't be true. So it won't Very be interesting. the fact that it's a real thing. So uh, that, that certainly is something that people have to keep in mind. And, um, you know, it's going to be a, a force, from now on, for sure. Well, why don't we take another real quick break and then come right back with Eric Durston. I'm going to actually put up the scene that you just won uh, the right. award for with your team. 
Uh, we're talking with Eric Durst. He and his team won the 2023 Visual Effects Society Awards for Outstanding Supportive Visual Effects in a Photoreal Episode. Uh, the, the the film, it's a, a miniseries on Apple TV, Five Days at Memorial. Uh, day two is the opening scene here, what we're, we're going to show in just a moment. Uh, if you, You'll have to go to YouTube, obviously, to watch that. And then, Eric, you'll take us through that and, and what you were thinking and how you recreated this, this incredible scene. Powerful, powerful Great. scene. We'll be right back. Welcome, Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio. The Jeremiah Show airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday. Core Radio dot rocks. Hi, I'm Andras Jones from Radio 8 Ball, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show, and I'm so excited that they are being so supportive of my new record, All You Get. The Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. My special guest today is Eric Durst, and we're having a fascinating conversation about visual effects in film. Uh, Eric and his team won just one two weeks ago. Twenty uh, was February fifteenth, I think. Yep. At the Beverly Hills Hilton, the twenty twenty three Visual Effects Society Awards for outstanding supporting visual effects in a photo reel episode. Day two, five days at Memorial. It's a limited series on Apple TV. Uh, strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, it's going to be a, for a ton of awards. It, it just won, as I said, the award for special effects with Eric Durst and his team, doctors and nurses at the intensive care unit of a New Orleans hospital struggle with treating patients during Hurricane Katrina when the facility is without power for five days. When the floodwaters rose, the power failed and the heat climbed. Exhausted caregivers were forced to make life and death decisions that haunted them for years to come. It's a fascinating show. Um, most of the music, side note, in our soundtrack today is from the series. Eric Durst, we're going to play for uh, the interview here for you, uh, you know, the people on watching on YouTube, our listeners and watchers. Uh, we're going to play the scene that you won this award for. And do you want to set this up at all? How you, before I start playing sure. the, yeah. the video? Sure. sure. Uh, this is actually one of several shots that are in the, the episode that we won the award for, but this is sort of one of the most dynamic. And it was basically one of the, when the levees breached after Hurricane Katrina, 
the, one of the areas that was affected the most and damaged the most was the Lower Ninth Ward. And so we wanted to show the breaching of the levees in the Lower Ninth Ward to show just the impact of what happened. So there was a lot involved in this. Uh, we knew we had to all, there was nothing really we could photograph. We had to do everything in the computer. Although we went down to New Orleans and we we studied the area and we did a lot of research. And one of the uh, things was to like figure out what really happened, because during Hurricane Katrina, there was a lot of footage before it happened and then a lot of after uh, it happened. But very really no footage of the events themselves. And so we really wanted to visualize these key moments. And in this case, this is the the breaching of the levee. And uh, did a lot of re- I did a lot of research in terms of figuring out how the walls broke and and what happened there. Um, I used Google Earth a lot to sort of go into the time machine and see before and afters. And, and this this is the visualization of that. Mm, it's incredible. How how uh, scary to be there. I've been to New Orleans. I'm sure you you've been there quite a bit. Spent a lot of time there. What are you thinking as you're creating this? Uh, I mean, do you get emotionally involved? Uh, are there different thoughts that oh, yeah. go through your mind? You know, as you sure. I think one of the things was one of the uh, the chief dictum that we wanted to do in this was that. We were working with Carlton Coos and, and John Ridley was that we wanted to be very true to these events because a lot of people were uh, killed and it was a mm-hmm. horrible event that happened. So we wanted to be as true as possible. Actually, the the crews themselves had a lot of problems just in terms of recreating some of these scenes and mostly really affected a lot of the crew members. And some had to like leave and couldn't participate in some of the shots. Uh, so it's, it's really, even though it's been uh, eight years since that happened, nothing really goes away. And so that was one thing we wanted to to really have is to be true to to things as much as possible. And what are the you know what are, what's the feedback aside from just in you know you won uh, the probably the most prestigious award for for this, but what? for your work here, are you hearing from people in New Orleans that live through that, that's, that appreciate the painstaking efforts for detail and, and telling the story, the story true to life? Sure. I mean, I haven't personally, uh, but I, well, actually, no, no, that's not true. I have a friend who's down there who is a medical doctor and uh, talked about how, important it was to sort of visualize this. And I've heard from others that, that it's the same thing. I mean, it's a, it was this particular story was a, a very large one. The, the woman who wrote about this, Sherry Fink, won the Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. uh, for her New York Times piece about this, which turned into the book, which turned into this um, episodic series and limited series. And so um, we were we were trying to be as as close to reality as possible to really show what happened. Mm, it's just incredible, and be very visceral about it, as you mentioned in the beginning, right. you know, to really feel it. It's on Apple TV. I, I strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, five days at Memorial. We're with Eric Durst, VFX supervisor uh, for the film, and we will be right back. Every color swirls 
Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Hi, this is Carol Swarbrick. Check out Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. It's a wonderful film, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. And I am so pleased to bring you back to The Jeremiah Show. Say I don't look much like a lover Doesn't mean that I won't try Set your world on fire Every once in a while We lie on the kitchen floor Hot air rises and it's gonna be Hot as hell here soon We're gonna need some relief Sick of leaving things half done Leaving things half said Leaving things half done Leaving things half said Oh I am I am trying The best that I can I am I am trying Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. We spent the hour with Eric Durst. He's a VFX supervisor and a fascinating man. He's promised off air here to come back and share more of the stories, more of uh, uh, of the films that he's working on and, and the love and the passion for uh, this art form. It's just incredible what Eric and his team does. Eric, I just wanted to turn it over to you for final words here. Uh, anybody you'd like to thank? Any, any final words regarding five days at memorial sure i mean five days at memorial there's a whole team of people that that worked with we had a fantastic visual effects crew and and uh, artists everybody who helped participate in this carlton cuse and john ridley who uh were the the showrunners on this and directors and so it's on apple tv um, and that's great. I have a, a website, ericdurst.com, that's going to be online later this week. And I'll have a lot of breakdowns of this this material, this, this show, as well as others. And I want to use that as a platform to just show how visual effects works and uh, the future of visual effects as well. It's mm, great. It's fascinating, fascinating conversation, and and really great to get to know you and what you do, Eric. And thank you for what you do. It it's, it adds a lot to my my enjoyment, my pleasure in watching film. Um, do you ever feel like a god? <laughs> <laughs> I never feel can, like a god, but uh, certainly when you look at the influence that that these visuals have. It's almost like a superpower, really, yeah, and really. and something that uh, works uh, as all superpowers for good and for evil. So you have to be very careful about how it's used because it does influence people. Eric Durst, VFX supervisor for good. Uh, Apple TV, five days of memorial. Check it out. The, the trailer is coming up next um, after the song. And thank you so much, Eric, for your time. We really appreciate it. And we will see you soon, hopefully. Thanks Communicate. Sure, but listen more. Watch more films. Yeah. And evolve. See you next week.
after we survived Hurricane Katrina, we thought that we could survive anything. And we were wrong. They found 45 dead bodies there. Now, does that make any sense to you? I'm under a great deal of pressure to look into what happened. There were five days, the most ungodly conditions. We are getting all of these patients out of here. We are nurses, and we're going to get it done. We don't get left behind. We have to be realistic about the situation. There is nothing else to do for them except to make them comfortable. So what are we talking about? They asked me to look into the, the deaths at Memorial Medical Center. The Attorney General's office is focusing their investigation on you. They're suggesting that some of their patients' lives may have been ended. I am sure that patients do not suffer pain. Some people were afraid of people outside of the hospital. But for me, it was the other way around. If you were given a choice between comforting a patient, possibly quickening his death, or abandoning patients to suffer a slow death, what would you choose to do? All I did was try to help people. That is all I did. Hi, this is comedian Maz Jobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. I'm up putting my guns in the ground. I can't shoot them anymore. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. I love you. I love you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.